Good morning once again. As we look into the scriptures today, our plan is to still go through the same uh, passage of scripture of Matthew chapter 5 and the what the kids of the kingdom, the Beatitudes, what we're supposed to look like if we've truly been found by the kingdom of God. And God has put his seal upon our hearts. He's giving a discourse to let everybody know that a kingdom is coming that is unlike any other. And in our world today, uh, tragic headlines and things that we're seeing where a kingdom that we all love, our country, uh, tears itself apart in so many needless, divisive kind of ways. So in our study of the kingdom together, hopefully we're seeing a kingdom that should be and can be beautifully undivided. If the members of that kingdom truly live according to the DNA that their father has written on their hearts. Let's pray as we look into the scriptures today. Father, I pray for our country. I ask that you will uh, put your hand upon the hearts of people that are so discontented and so frustrated, uh, and in many cases just so wrong. And I just ask that you will heal our land. And Father, if it could happen through the churches of America, uh, by their prayers, by their desire to see you honored above all, May we see hearts changed. May the emptiness of people uh, not drive them just to look for solutions other places. May it drive them back to the God that gave them the very breath that they breathe every day. Lord, as we look into your word, enlighten our hearts, convict us where needed, encourage us where needed, uh, but show us most uh, and the most and first and foremost the majesty that comes through the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we've been looking at the Beatitudes today, we're going to be hitting Beatitude number six. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. These Beatitudes mix together very beautifully, and they complement each other, and there's a progression and connection. Uh, as Jesus is giving them out, it's not just a haphazard, well, you know what, my kingdom's going to be a little bit like this, it's going to be like that. He is giving a progression of what his grace does in the heart of people. And last week, we looked at um, those that uh, are blessed are those or who are merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And those and those alone will receive mercy. And we looked at a couple key things, and I'm just going to rehearse them really quickly to get them fresh in our mind, because blessed are the merciful gives birth to blessed are the pure in heart. Uh, so as we think about them, we said that what we're being asked to do in this verse isn't human. And, and it's something that is already true of God. And because it's true of God, it's to be true of me as well. So this mercy isn't some human type of mercy. This is divine. This is special. This is from who God is. And in that, the merciful care and reach out to help those that are in need without demanding such help be deserved. That is the foundation and beauty of mercy. Those that are merciful have the work of the Holy Spirit producing a mercy which defies explanation by natural people. This kind of mercy, when it's exhibited, 
to the undeserving will cause people who don't know Christ to scratch their heads and wonder why. How? Why would you do that? How could you do that? And whether they come to Christ or not, it brings them to a place where they can hear about the grace and mercy of God. I, I can do this because of the grace and mercy that was shown to me. Thirdly, we looked at that it's a mercy that's reciprocal, but not meritorious. In other words, I don't show mercy, so I get mercy. I've received mercy, therefore I must show it. I've been forgiven that unpayable debt. And because I've been forgiven that kind of a debt, it will have to flow from me. I just have to let that mercy from God touch the people around me and build those bridges. It's a mercy I must see beyond their actions, see beyond the things that they've done to their misery. I see what a life without Jesus Christ does to a person. I see their misery. And then finally, when I see that, I must want good for them as much as I want it for myself. That's the mercy part of the Beatitudes. Now we move into the next part and the pure in heart that the scriptures say, and we see the next beatitude telling us, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is the second beatitude that comes after uh, those hunger and thirsting for righteousness. These kind of flow out of that. We're going to talk about that flow in just a minute. But righteousness, as I hunger and thirst for it, will produce a kind of mercy flowing out of me. But it will also give me a purity of heart that comes from God and God alone. And in this, something should stand out to you. As you read a verse, usually there's a phrase or a part of it that pops and it catches your attention. So if I were to say to you this morning something like, I'd like you to stand on one foot, fold your arms for 10 minutes, and I will give you a million dollars. Something would have caught your attention in that. Chances are it was the million dollars. And you would say, wait, a million dollars? And then you would back up a little bit and say, what is it I have to do? Because you'd want to get that goal, that object that caught your attention. Uh, once you've got that in focus, you don't want to miss it. So you'll kind of go backwards and say, okay, well, what was that? Uh, what, what do I do exactly? Because I heard the million dollars. If you were in New Testament times coming out of the Old Testament age, and you heard this, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. See God would have popped for you. That would have been the thing that stood out. It's like, people just don't see God. That doesn't happen. His majesty is so awesome and so wonderful. And those that had partial encounters with God in the Old Testament, they're just like, I'm undone. It's over for me. I've seen God. I'm going to die. His majesty, his holiness, his presence was so uh, immense and overwhelming. It was just understood that people like us can't see him. So for Jesus to say to the average person, to all people, if you are pure in heart as part of my kingdom, you will see God was revolutionary. This wasn't something that the common person ever, ever could expect to have. Uh, it's almost like the Pharisees would have looked at it and thought, you know, uh, you're talking about spiritual overachievers here, Jesus. People just don't get to see God. And if they did, I'm sure as a Pharisee, it would be one of us that got to see that. For many of us, 
that phrase, see God, doesn't pop. It may not be the first thing, because in our secular world, God has lost so much of his grandeur, so much of his glory, and been pulled down that the idea of God has taken such abuse that for some, seeing God doesn't spark wonder, excitement, uh, majesty within that. It's more of a yawn because the God that's in their head is not necessarily at all the God of the Bible. But in this beatitude today, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Companion verse, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. There's a theme in scripture that those children of the kingdom Part of their inheritance is seeing God. And we want to look at that this morning and see in what ways in this world do I get to see God? And what can I expect to see eventually when I'm in heaven someday and get to see God again? As we look at this next part of the verse in the pure in heart, the idea of pure here carries with it straightness, honesty, and clarity. Uh, there's a moral quality to it, but it's a lot more than just that. It's just not being pure in the sense of being good. Uh, it has the idea, it describes someone who is constantly, not constantly, dirty from all the little stains that come from contact with this world. They're pure in their innermost tendency and direction of their heart. Uh, they're, they're not stained from the contact of this world. It kind of makes me think of Charlie Brown, if you're Charlie Brown fan at all. And, and they had the character there, Pigpen, that wherever he went, he took part of the world with him. He had stained, and he just, wherever he would turn, he carried it with him. The pure in heart don't have the stains of this world, the stains of the old life so entrenched on them that wherever they turn, they're there. In fact, in their life, they find those stains and those, those uh, parts of the world clinging to them slowly beginning to fall off and so much more as they find who Jesus Christ is and the greatness of his salvation. Uh, Lang has said this, the steady direction of the soul towards the divine which excludes every other object from the homage of the heart. That's what purity of heart is. It's a steady direction of the soul. It's a direction of the heart, which means anything else that I would give devotion to or love to is, is cast aside because of the grandeur of what I am seeing in my pure heart. Pure in the most innermost tendencies and direction of my heart. This right away puts pure at heart uh, very personal, very intimate. There's a lot of us that like to dress up the outside and we make things look good and we want to make sure we look good for people. But if we really were to let our guard down and let them see the deep part, there would be some ugliness. There'd be a lot of ugliness. In fact, we don't do that because we, we would be afraid that if somebody really saw me for all that I am, they would run off screaming. What keeps them from doing that often is they know themselves. And they look at their own heart and realize that they, they too are the same way. You see, there's this deep heart that God wants. He wants to love it. He wants to change it. He wants our deep heart to become like him. The Pharisees didn't get that picture at all. 
For them, they were the whitewashed sepulchers, the ones that, that had their righteousness on the outside. Jesus is saying, purity of heart is what I'm after. It's a heart set on what is eternally pure. You see, the pure heart has this ability to uh, see the difference between this world and things that are transient and temporary, and those things that last and matter forever. And as that distinguishing characteristic is achieved, and they see the difference between the two, they're drawn in their pure hearts to those things that last forever. And they're not finding themselves pulled away to pleasures of sin for a season. Something that excites my heart today, and then tomorrow I'll pay the consequences for it. And I go after it again. It's a heart set on what is eternally pure. Uh, scriptures use some other words to talk about the idea of being pure at heart. It, says, it uses the phrase in Galatians, walking in the spirit or by means of the spirit in a particular direction towards God. It uses the term being born of God in 1 John 3, that he who is born of God doesn't continually commit sin. There's a singleness or a purity of heart that characterizes that person. And then when the heart becomes pure, the actions that come out of us will naturally be pure. There are many people who try to hang righteousness like on a Christmas tree, and they, they want to put the balls on the tree and, and, and make it look so pretty and so nice. But the reality is they're just hung there. They didn't grow there. The righteousness that comes from God, the pure in heart, have fruit that grows from the inside. They're genuine all the way down to the bone. This is why in the past we've had a series on the spiritual disciplines. Those things that I engage in to get my heart before the presence of God so I can see him and he can then in turn change me and our actions then change as our heart changes. It's interesting as we think about pure in heart. I know often I'll think, uh, I need to be pure in this, pure in this, pure in this, as if purity is just a, a lot of separate actions uh, that I do. But it's really a single virtue that expresses itself in many different ways. It's a single virtue. And let's just look at the word for a minute to understand it. In Greek, it's katharos to cardia. Cardia, cardiac, that's the heart. So it's, it's a purity to heart or in heart, it means clean and unmixed. It's pure when I drink it. It's not diluted. It doesn't have contaminants that have been mixed with it. If you've ever th thought you were drinking something, and, and let's say milk, for instance, you're just going to have a clean, fresh glass of milk, really cold with that chocolate chip cookie, and you take a sip of it, and you find, as I did as a kid, that your mother had bought buttermilk, and it was a whole different experience. And, and that, that whole feeling of not expecting a mixed thing here, I wanted this clean, pure milk, and I got butter with it, and it was a travesty and horrible, and I'm still recovering from it. It was awful. That, that mixedness that comes through a divided heart that's going after things in different directions is not what the pure in heart is all about. The pure in heart has a heart that is 
given to God, not mixed, not divided, searching in other different places for different things. That word catharos is used in medically. We get the term cathartic, something that is a cleansing agent. Or in counseling, they'll talk about having an emotional catharsis, where, where something happens and cleans everything out so that the heart is, is, divide, is not divided anymore. It has a singleness about it. So in Hebrew, there's another term that's synonymous with it. We're going to look at that in Psalm 73 in a minute. But this pure in heart has the idea of single, straight honesty that's not diluted or mixed by anything else. Clean and unmixed. The pure in heart equals singleness of heart. You could use that interchangeably when you look at the full idea of the pure in heart. It's just not a moral quality of goodness. It's, not, it's a singleness of focus that produces a moral quality of goodness. That my heart and mind are so focused on one thing and one alone, that being God, and his righteousness that it begins to transform me and my heart changes from the inside out. And I have a sincerity about me. What you see on the outside is what's going on in here. God has made me single so that my heart and my life really overlap very nicely with each other. Uh, it means true and open in all things. Without folds is another uh, idea that is behind it. Uh, if you've ever seen a magician as he's doing his tricks, he'll say, there's nothing up my sleeves uh, in the folds somewhere. And, and that's the person who is pure in heart. They're not hiding anything. They don't have to stop something because a Christian brother came over. They don't have to change their speech. They don't have to change what they're doing. They don't have to change where they're going. They don't have to cover up anything. There's no hiding because there's nothing in the folds of the garment that could cause problems. A couple verses uh, that give definition and, and expand that idea of being pure in heart uh, come a little bit later in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus says this, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, that's pure, the whole body will be full of light. But if your eye be evil, not single, it be divided, the whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you be darkness, how great is that darkness? And if you're in a dark place today, you know how, how devastating that darkness can be. So the pure in heart that come in, that people that become pure in heart as part of the kingdom of God, those are the ones who live from their deep heart, but live in such a way that it's not diluted. There's a singleness about them. Psalm 86, 11 says, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. One of the problems in this life is that sin has given us a divided heart, a heart that wants this, wants that, thinks that, and, and is in all these different directions. And they all lead into a path of destruction. Jesus says, I'm going to bring your heart back together. I want to give you a singleness of vision that is so captivating and so beautiful that all these other 
parts that have divided you will lose their beauty, will lose their splendor, because what you see when you see me, you see something that makes all other things pale in comparison. It makes them uh, seem like the garbage and rubbish that they really are. But until I get to that point, I will have a heart that is divided, that gives me misery, that makes me depressed, that gives me frustration, that wherever I look, things aren't right, and I'm not happy with this person. I'm not happy about this in my life. This is no good. They're no good. And it's like wherever we go, we just feel wrong. We just feel like there's something not right, life is not good, and we're just frustrated and angry and bitter and all those other things, and we're complaining because of this happening and that happening. Our heart is divided. Jesus and the gospel message is, you can have a single heart. You can have a heart that is united before God in beauty and majesty. Professor Tasker from the University of London has said, the single-minded are those who are free from the tyranny of a divided heart. They're not looking for pleasure all over the place. They find it in a single-hearted, single-minded devotion to God and to God alone. I've asked myself sometimes as I think about this, how big of a problem, how widespread of a problem is divided hearts? I think when you look at how many young people leave the church today because their heart's divided and they want something else. When you look at the morality of Christians in divorce or sexual activity outside of marriage and see that it doesn't look very much different than those that don't claim to know Jesus Christ. When you look at an election, people's ideas of masks and things like that, what that can do to friendships, what that can do in a church. When you look at troubled marriages and families that aren't on speaking terms, grudges, bitterness, family strife. When you look at people who are too busy to pray or to spend time in God's word, I think you would think and probably agree, divided hearts are in epidemic proportions. There are people everywhere who have preferences, ideas, and things that are just in conflict with each other. Their hearts are divided, therefore their relationships are divided. Their hearts are divided, therefore families are divided. Uh, their hearts are divided, so churches become divided. Jesus said, blessed are the undivided hearts because they see God. They see him clearer and clearer as time goes on. The placement of this beatitude is, is kind of interesting. Uh, if you were to think of the Beatitudes and look at the Beatitude that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, kind of as the watershed, the, the Beatitude that, that covers them all, you begin to see how they fit together. And we've looked at them. We looked at being poor in spirit. That's the spiritual poverty. You realize I've got nothing to endear me to God. I've got nothing good. There's nothing in me that could ever save myself, get me out of this situation. It leads then to mourning over that condition. That, that I, I'm destitute because of it. I'm beside myself. I know I need to do something to change my spiritual poverty. And in that, then, the meek are those that control the, their, their 
passions and all those things that go out of there because in, in their mourning and spiritual poverty, they realize that there isn't anything that they can pursue or anything that they can do that's going to make their situation any better. And that led up to that hunger and thirsting for righteousness because I need something to replace the emptiness and the poverty of my soul. And in doing that, it's as if these other Beatitudes come up the other side of the mountain. And they seem to have a corresponding uh, portion to each other. I'm poor in spirit. I know I need the mercy of God. So therefore, it's not a big step then when I see his mercy and I see his righteousness for me to have mercy flow out to other people. And then at that point, once I become that merciful person, we're talking about pure in heart now, that, that as I have seen his mercy, I become single-minded in my pursuit of the one who showed me so much mercy. And in my single-minded pursuit, it empties me of all those divisive things and those things I would foist up high uh, that, that I would want to almost worship. It helps me get rid of those things so that then I become, what we'll look at next week, a peacemaker that I've been emptied of pretension, I've been emptied of self, to the point where I want to have mercy flow. I have a single-minded focus towards God. And because of that single-minded focus, I can spread peace wherever I go because self has become so far removed. I have one goal and one goal alone, and that is to see Jesus Christ glorified. Between mercy and peacemaking, we find the pure of heart. True understanding of God's mercy goes hand in hand with the humility that spiritual poverty um, brings to us. And that gives rise to the needed single-minded commitment to be free from the elevation of personal feelings, opinions, my own agendas, my motives, my self-interest. Then it qualifies me to seek for peace in the lives of others as I have contact with them. When I am hungering, thirsting for righteousness, when I am pure in heart, all of a sudden my ideas, my beliefs, don't become so big that I cause divisions or ruptured friendships because of it. The purity of heart, the single-mindedness that wants to see Jesus lifted up becomes so big, so glorious, and so wonderful that I no longer let those other things become a divisive issue. They're secondary. In fact, they're not even secondary. They're not really on the list because the single-mindedness has taken over so much that I can disagree on a lot of different things with my Christian brothers and still be unified with them because there's such a strong banner that I've walked under in, in my seeing of who God is and what he called me to, that the other stuff becomes kind of non inconsequential, petty. And when I'm double-minded, when I'm not single-minded, I'm divided, I bring all those things and I make them my banner. Jesus is blessed are you when I am your banner when you have a single eye towards me and to me alone. In Psalm 73, uh, Asaph kind of goes on a journey. And it's a journey I think most of us can identify with where we look at that um, pure heart, that single-mindedness, 
and realize it's kind of fragile. And Asaph found that to be true of himself in Psalm 73. A Psalm of Asaph, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. He's acknowledging that. He's saying it's true. But his reality? But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Asaph, in his journey, lost his single-mindedness in Psalm 73. He looked around and he compared himself to others. He compared what he had to what the ungodly, the arrogant, the sinners had, and he came up short. And he looked at a lot of things by comparison, and he was pretty, pretty well discouraged. And if you look at verses 4 through 12 of Psalm 73 on your own, you're going to see his ranting. And I think some of us have done that. We rant at all of the junk and the frustration, and this person did that, and this person made me mad, and I couldn't believe he did that. And we just rant and rant and complain and moan and groan about what we see out there that isn't right, that we don't like, that kind of compare with what we think it should be to what we see around them. And he had lost his single-heartedness. Look at what they do. Look at what they've done. And his heart became very, very divided. But he went on a journey in Psalm 73. And his journey started with a little bit of a reckoning. And in that, you see the pronouns change. When he was first ranting, it was they. Now he does some reckoning where he's like, I have to deal with this. I have to do something about this. And if you look at verses 13 through 16, he's trying on his own, his mind his mentality, his own strength, his understanding, to make sense of it all. In fact, uh, as he does this, it seems like it even increases his doubts more and gives him even more of a troubled heart. So in verse 16, it sounds like as he gets to the end of this reckoning and trying to make it all work out, he's exhausted. He is depressed. He is at a point where it's like, you know what, I just feel like giving up. This has become such a frustration to try to put this, this life together and have it make sense. And, and, and he's kind of at wit's end, you could say. His own self-reckoning couldn't make sense out of the life that he was living. So a certain realization begins to sink in. And verse 17 is like the, the turning point of Asaph where he begins to get his single heart back. And we read in verse 17, he says, I, I was exhausted until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discovered their end. The perspective of their misery begins to sink in as he sees what eternal purity is all about. What eternity does to those that are prospering and, and wicked today. It's like they're not going to always be on top. They're not going to always have what it looks like, everything and the easy life. It will be taken away. And as Asaph goes into the house of God, he sees their eventual misery. Actually, the misery they're in now, and they don't even know it. A perspective of eternity and true reality begins to sink in. And as Asaph sees that, it leads him to repentance in verses 21 through 22. He says this, when my soul was embittered, 
When I was pricked in my heart, I was brutish and arrogant. I was like a beast towards you. He looked at his attitude towards God when his heart was divided and full of all this frustration about everything around him. He's, this is what I was like. This is what I was like towards you. But then we get down to verses 23 through the end of the chapter, where Asaph recovers the purity of heart, the single-mindedness that makes all those other things find proper place and not becoming the, the dog of his soul that was pulling him down and ruining what was going on in his heart. And we see in these verses that seeing God in his sanctuary, spending time with him brings clarity, brings singleness of heart when I see him. And I want you to picture as we read through these couple verses here, it's as if God says, you know, Asaph, let's go for a walk. Let me take you for a walk in the park or at the beach or somewhere, because you need to get your heart set up. You need to get your heart back together. And the only way to really put your heart together is to see me for who I am and what I do and how I roll. And when you see that, Asaph, I think everything else will make some sense. So as God takes him by the hand, just picture that walk as God's saying, we're going to settle your heart. I'm going to give you the peace that you need. And he begins down the beach and he says, nevertheless, in spite of acting like an animal, in spite of being all those things in his repentance, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. He sees strength and he sees power when he sees God that even in his unfaithfulness, he saw God as being faithful. And that's just the beginning of the walk. As they walk a little further, you guide me with your counsel. You have wisdom. You have a wisdom that is beyond this earth that brings it all together because it's eternal. And you have a way to show me how to live to help me not become so frustrated, so angry, so bitter, so fickle. And you could fill in lots of different words there. And as the walk goes on in that chapter, and afterward, you will receive me to glory. You're going to be with me with my right hand. You're going to give me counsel and wisdom. And when it's all done, you're going to receive me to glory. You're going to have everlasting reward and treasure. And you can fill in other words that come to your heart and mind as you see these great, awesome aspects of God. Asaph, as he's walking along, is like, wow. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is a beautiful realization there of the intimacy and love and care that God has that goes beyond anything this world could ever offer. And as he walks a little bit further down the heart of the Lord, and there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. The single heart returns. He sees God again in his grandeur and in all of his beauty. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Hope, strength, confidence. All of those things become true of the person who sees God, who spends time with him. The person who pours out their heart, lets all those things that are divided melt away and single-heartedly with a single heart and mind follow after him. And that walk in the park, that walk on the beach, God shows you who he is. And as he does that, 
your heart becomes purely devoted to him and to him alone. Psalm 24, verse 3 says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false or that which is vain. And as my heart becomes single before the Lord and not divided, there's an outpouring of that that, that finds a root all over the place. It changes my finances, my giving to, to the work of the Lord and my not cheating or not doing things to get ahead. It changes my driving. It changes the way I treat people or react to people who cross me in some way, whether driving or at the store. It changes my waiting. It changes my patience. It changes those words that I love to say under my breath. It changes my critical spirit that tells everybody, always wants to tell people how they should have done it, what it should be like. And, and it takes away that frustration or that, that, that unhappiness that I feel towards people sometimes because of the way they are, because there's a bigger banner. There's something more precious and more wonderful. And I've seen God and I've seen who he is. And he's taken me by the hand and he's walking me through the park. And as he does that, it changes the kind of joking that I do. The Bible talks about horse jesting or joking that's inappropriate. It changes the, my, my whole approach to sexuality and the things that are around here. It changes uh, wh where my mind goes. It changes my speech. It changes my lustful thoughts and those actions that happen inside that maybe else, no one else knows about. Because those divided areas find a unity that in, in Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden I have a single heart and I'm not drawn in so many other ways. That single-mindedness keeps me immune, and immunity is a big deal right now, from persuasion of people. I don't lose my testimony because I'm around unsaved folks. I have a single-mindedness that keeps me on track, and I'm not, I don't find myself leaving a conversation feeling one way and then going to a different conversation and feeling different and finding my heart back and forth, back and forth, because there's one single banner that I, I live in love under. And that is so fixed in the pure of heart that they are not easily changed. They don't foist their preferences and their agendas and ideas to the point of division because there's one big preference and agenda, and it's Jesus Christ. And that is so big and so bold. I will not step down from that to pursue anything else, to foist my opinion. It could be political. It could be about what's going on with COVID. It could be anything that I would want to foist up that causes division within my heart, cause relationship division and it, it disgraces the name of Jesus Christ, divides my heart and spoils my testimony. For they shall see God. The enjoyment of unimaginable intimacy of God is the lot of the pure in heart. Because when they single-mindedly pursue him and him alone, he shows himself bigger and bolder as they live their life. For they shall see God. They shall enjoy unimaginable intimacy with him. In the here and now, a couple verses, they see God at work. They see a sunset and they see God. They see the pages of history. They see God at work. They even see the bad things that have happened to them and they see God at work. They see God all over the place in the good, bad, the acts of people. They see him in his mighty word. Uh, Hebrews eleven twenty seven. 27, by faith, 
he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, speaking of Moses, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. That beautiful picture of the here and now that the pure in heart sees God clearer and clearer as they live their life. And as they do that, it gives them an endurance, a single-minded endurance where their heart does not get ripped apart into several pieces and they find themselves all over the place. There's a here and now seeing of God, but then there's a there and then. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. A place where we'll all fit together, where the pieces will make sense because I will see the Savior who has been guiding me by the right hand all life long. And then when I get to heaven, it will make sense. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But, as, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who hopes in this way purifies himself, even as he is pure. A great verse that combines it all. But the path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. When our heart is single, we see God brighter and brighter until the day where we see him in all of his brightness. Ultimately, seeing God needs to be the greatest motivation of your heart and life. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When we all want the same thing with the same passion, our disagreements can be minimized and a church moves forward in unity. And there probably hasn't been a greater time that I can remember in a long time where the church needs a fresh new vision of why it's here and what its purpose is. Because so many different ideas and divisions and ideas of what is important have come in and people have foisted their preferences up so high that friendships have suffered Churches have suffered all over the place. We need a fresh start. We need to once again have a single-minded love of God that is so big and such a high banner that all of these other agenda items get put on the table. And we say, you know what? I'm going to unite and stick and stay with my brothers and sisters in Christ because we got a job to do. And I've been called to that church. I've been called to that body for that purpose. And I want to, before the Lord, single-mindedly follow him and, and spread his kingdom message. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God brighter and brighter until that day. I hope it's your prayer this morning that God will purify all of our hearts. He will purify his church, that we will come forth as gold, precious silver. Let's close our time in prayer. Father, I thank you for the grandeur and beauty of who you are. Help us to hunger and thirst after your righteousness so that mercy flows from us, so that our hearts become single-minded, single-mindedly focused on you, and that as we look in the week ahead, that we can be the peacemakers 
in a world that is so torn by violence, in a world that's so torn in its relationships, that there can be your ambassadors that bring your kingdom into a divided world and bring peace. Lord, help us in our single-minded um, pursuit of you this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all.